Coming up on the debut of Up in the Blue Seats with the New York Post, we take you inside Rangers' locker room with longtime Post beat writer Larry Brooks. And in Ron Remembers, I will share with you something special about my first time meeting Cher. We are also joined in studio by the coach of the 94 Rangers Stanley Cup Championship team, my friend, Mike Keenan. All that and more next on Up in the Blue Seats with the New York Post. Ladies and gentlemen, we ask that you direct your attention to center ice for a special presentation. Welcome to Up in the Blue Seats podcast, a New York Rangers podcast with the New York Post. I'm your host and former Ranger, Ron Duguay. Subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcast. Longtime New York Post Rangers beat writer Larry Brooks joins the debut show. I'm also joined in the studio by the guy who coached the Blue Shirts to their last Stanley Cup in 1994, the great Mike Keenan. Let's get up in the blue seats rolling. I started playing with the New York Rangers in 1977. I was drafted in the first round with Lucien Deblois. And then it all started at Madison Square Garden the first time I stepped on the ice. It was electrifying. I come from a small town in Sudbury, Ontario, where the biggest crowd was maybe 3,000 played junior hockey there, and then I end up in New York. And, and I found out really quickly that uh, I belonged. Not only did I belong wearing that New York Ranger jersey, but I loved that number 10. And from 77, I experienced a lot of great teammates, and it started with Phil Esposito. He was a uh, father figure to me, had... Um, Younger players on the team, Dave Maloney, Don Murdoch, Ron Gressner, and we became a family. And because we did so, and JT and Net, we ended up in the Stanley Cup Finals in 1979. And that's when I really experienced what it was like to have the best fans in the world support you. And it was a thrill of my lifetime. It set me up for my whole career. I had the opportunity of playing eight years as a New York Rangers during that whole time. I can probably write a book for every month I was in New York. I had so much fun on the ice, off the ice. And to this day, I walk the streets of New York, and I remember so much. I had the pleasure of doing 12 years of doing television at Madison Square Garden Network. I continue to be the face of the team. I continue talking hockey. And so I haven't left. I keep coming back. And because of that, I have a special bond with the Ranger fans. And so now I have this pleasure of continue to talk hockey with the New York Post, with Larry Brooks. Larry Brooks, I've known him about 40 years. We were never that close. We kept our distance, but now we get to talk. We get to talk about what the team is now, what the team looks like in the future, and what I believe with this new coach, David Quinn, the New York Ranger fans will see another Stanley Cup within the next five years. So stay locked in with us. We'll be talking hockey. I'll have some special guests, some celebrities that love hockey. We'll have some alumni friends of mine every Thursday. Stay with us. And welcoming in now is my longtime friend and beat writer from the New York Post, Larry Brooks. And you can find him on Twitter at NYP underscore Brooksy. Larry, um, this is such a pleasure for me because you and I have known each other for a long time. We would talk. We weren't really, uh, say, personal about stuff. Because of you being the writer, I was the player. I always respected your writing. And to this day, I read the New York Post all the time. And here we are now, have an opportunity to talk about the Rangers and Kurt Rangers. So welcome. I'm glad we get to do this. 
Thanks. So am I, you know, it's, it's, uh, I I hope I hope it's okay with you if I say that we've we've known each other for over forty years, <laughs> which is kind of, yeah. which is which is kind of a slap in the face. But yeah, it was you know what it was great fun covering your team. It it really was. You had a lot of personalities, younger guys, um, a a progressive front office. Uh, it was it was a lot of fun being around those teams in the late seventies. It, it was okay. I need to ask you this because this is on my mind because you never know what other people think of you. What were your thoughts about me back then? I, I got to ask you this, and please feel free to just tell me like it is. No, I thought you were a nice player. I, I did. I, I thought you were a nice player whom uh, should not have been drafted ahead of Mike Bossy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, rub it in. No, honestly. <laughs> yeah. the, um, you know, of course, the Rangers drafted both you and Lucien Deblois ahead of, ahead of Bossy, and they had two shots, and I remember the next year, Talking to Freddie about that decision, talking about Freddie Shiro about the decision, and he came out with one of his great lines: "I'd rather have Ron Duguay because of the way he plays than Mike Bossy because of the way he plays." And I thought to myself, "Well, okay, <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't know that the Islanders would make the one for one trade, but okay, you know." Um, but no, it was, it was, it was a good group. I enjoyed covering you again. It was. You know, you know, the ooh la la, there, there was there was a you know, there was a charisma that you had, but you were. But I also thought, honestly, that, you know, the charisma and the long hair and, and, you, and the way the way you played and your and your personality off the ice kind of overshadowed that you were a pretty good player. You know, I, I think there was a lot of a lot of sizzle to you and the stake part of your game was sometimes overlooked. Oh, well, I appreciate that. Is there a player in today's game that you think, well, you know, that kind of reminds me of Ron Duguay? Nope. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> nope. And, you, and you know, honestly, um, players were, I mean, listen, there, you know, Connor McDavid, you're, you're never going to miss him. Uh, you, I mean, you're always going to know who he is. I mean, Artemi Panarin, you know, talents like that stand out. But because of because of, of everyone wearing helmets now and because you get to see players uh, fewer times with the balanced schedule, I don't think there are as many distinctive players on the ice. That's not to say there aren't as many great players on the ice, because there are. But there aren't as many distinctive players on the ice. And even with the social media, I, I, I feel that way, that, um, the, you know, the, Clearly, there's a reason why 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 players are bulked up with equipment now, but you could identify players a lot better when they weren't. Yeah, you know, I agree. So I just wanted to get that out of the way, being in our first show, and we get to talk and we get to know each other. And I just want to share with you that uh, with my impressions of you, I always thought that you were fair, you were tough, but you were honest. And to this day, you're still that same guy writing the same way. You'll say what you want to say. I've loved your battles that you've had with Tortorella a little bit in their face, but you're, you're, you're fair and you're, you're, you've been a really good writer as far as, you know, wanting to just tell the truth. So I appreciate that. So getting that out of the way, let's talk about the current team. At the beginning of the season, I watched this team in training camp and I thought, you know, people ask me, do you think this team can make the playoffs this year? And I thought, no. And I, and I just didn't say no. I said absolutely not because I saw some weaknesses. Young team, it's going to take some time. I love their coach. I love David Quinn. But it's going to take some time because I, I identified two areas that I think that they really need to improve, and that 
is being that they had they didn't have a solid second line centerman, which is really important. Any good team, all good teams have a good two line centerman. And then on defense, I felt they needed another top four defenseman, a big guy, a guy that uh, plays with some grit. I didn't see that, and sure enough, the season started, and I kind of I still identified that. But since then, things have changed, and all of a sudden, they're like I think three points out of a playoff spot. So my question to you, your thoughts of what you saw in training camp from what you're seeing now? My thoughts were, were, were similar to yours. I did not think they were a playoff team. I, I thought they'd be, you know, a bottom six, bottom seven team in the NHL. And they still might be. You know, I mean, I, I, I think they, they still might be. But they, 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 are, they have been better as a group, I think, than you would – presume from their names on the roster. Um, they, What I like about them is that they figure out a way to win games. Now, their, their performance from game to game is, you know, is, is just too varied. I mean, you, you don't really know what to expect from one game to the next. Um, part of that is, I guess, because of their youth, but part of that is on them too. <laughs> you know, they're, you know, some, you know something is, is, is off that they have such – dramatic mood swings that they get blown out so often while winning as often as they do. So there's something there that needs to be corrected, but they're, they're a team, I think, who's top end talent. And I, and I think that's something they've been missing for, for a while since, since at least Nash was healthy and, and in 2014, 15 had such a spectacular year, they didn't have enough top end talent. And I think when you bring in somebody like Artemi Panarin, uh, it's a cliche to say that those players elevate everybody else on the team, but he does. It's true. He has elevated everybody on the team. And and when you have top-end talent like him and a top-end talent like Mika Zibanejad, you've given your ch- yourself a better chance to win. I think Adam Fox has obviously made more of an impact. Their goaltending has been very good. I think Henrik Lundqvist has been very, very good most of the time. And Georgiev has been good. So they give themselves a chance to win most nights the nights that they don't have a chance to win they they're not even in the games so that's something that needs to be addressed um but i i i think what they need they need they need to gain more of a north south um uh, mindset they need they need to go in a straight line a little bit more they need to win more puck battles and they need to shoot the puck more and we all know that as 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 the season progresses space becomes tighter Everything's becomes more hurried. And so those are issues I think they're going to have to deal with going forward. But it's been a pleasant first. It has been a pleasant first couple of, of months. There's no question about that. Okay. So there's hope for a Ranger fan. There's obviously a lot of hope. And I've been sitting here. I've been talking to Mike Keenan, reflecting back on the 94 team. And I asked him about the character of the team. And, uh, and so my question to you, what do you think of the leadership in that dressing room? I think it's a good group. I, I, I think it's a good group. There are a lot of players on the team who probably won't be here next year. And so I think what's really been an interesting dynamic is these play these veterans, say Chris Kreider, we don't know if he's going to be here next year. Ryan Strom, don't know if he's going to be here next year. But these guys are are all in. They're all they're invested. Panarin has been a very good leader for this team. And then you've got, you know, the returning guys, Abanajad, Jesper Fast, Mark Stahl. It's a good group. And Lundquist. It's a good group. They're trying to win now while also taking care of the future. I just wonder at some point 
will they have to make a decision between now and the future? And, and that will get into what they decide to do with Kreider, what they decide to do with Tony D'Angelo, what they decide to do with Strom. Is, there's, there's going to be a, a, a period of reckoning for Jeff Gorton and John Davidson to decide whether they're all in for this year or whether they're going to need to retrench um, uh, you know, purge at the deadline and go back for next year. It's going to be a very interesting call because if they're in the playoff race, unlike the last two years, it's not going to be so simple for them because I think to, to start wheeling guys out for draft picks when you have a chance to make the playoffs is going to be a tough sell this time. However, they still have to get to that point. There's a long way between now and the, and the trade deadline, which is at the end of February. Okay, so let's talk today. Panarin's going into Columbus. What do you think that's going to be like for him? Well, I think it's going to be fun. I, I, you know, Panarin has a great personality, plays with a twinkle in his eye, walks through life with a twinkle in his eye. Um, I, think it'll be, I think it'll be a special night for him. I don't expect a torrent of booze. He was only there for two years. And, and I was talking to Lundquist actually today about that. And he was talking about how the team always gets up when a player goes back to a place he had been for a long time. And I said, but Hank, he's like, he was only there for two years. And he said, what? Two years. And, and it, it does seem like he was there for a lot longer because he was such an important part of their team. So I think the Rangers will want to rally around him. Um, I think he'll give a good performance tonight. He, he doesn't strike me as a guy who gets bothered by too much. He'll go out and play and have a good time, and and I and and I'm, I think it'll be important for the Rangers to back him up. Well, I feel the same way, and I'm glad he's wearing number ten because he's noticeable. I, I like my number tens to be noticeable on the ice. He's noticeable. It's always a pleasure talking with you. We'll do this again next week. Sounds good to me. It was it was a pleasure. Number 10, right wing, Ron Duguay. I belong here. The way I dressed was different. I had the big 80s hair, and I probably became more popular a few years ago with doing television than I was as a player. Walked the streets, and people recognized me. It's time for a weekly segment here and Up in the Blue Seats where Ron Duguay tells you a story from his past in Ron Remembers. Now, Ron, I saw Cher at the Garden last night. And I know you and Cher had a little bit of a romance back in the day. So in this weekly installment of Ron Remembers, I'm letting you tell your Cher story. Take it away. And this is going to be an exclusive thing because I've never been a kiss and tell type of guy. And uh, it brings back a lot of fond memories having spent time, well, I spent a lot of time in Studio 54. And um, I met a lot of interesting people through the the times of being there. I must have spent four years going in and out of Studio 54, and it kind of got me in trouble when I think about Herb Brooks, my relationship with Herb Brooks. People ask me, well, Ron, why did Herb trade you away? Because you were playing so well. And I said, well, I think that he didn't like my social life. And, uh, and that's why it's funny, because I have this connection of the past with uh, the New York Post in page six, because occasionally um, I would be in page six and someone would see me with someone and sure enough they would see me with Cher and and then it would be that comment and something and then Herb Brooks would read it and I'd have to explain myself and so I'm going to explain to you now which I have not really shared with a whole lot of people so I'm standing there at Studio 54 minding my own business and a woman is pointing her finger at me calling me over and I looked over at my who is that and I get closer oh my god that's Liza Minnelli 
Liza Minnelli's calling me over. So I start walking over and, and Liza introduced herself. Hi, Ron Duguay, I always wanted to meet you. I'm like, oh my goodness, Liza, you know me? She goes, yeah, I watch some hockey occasionally. I like the Rangers. She calls her husband over. He comes over. We say hi. We chat for about two minutes. She says, you probably need to come over to my house later. We're having a party. I said, sure. She says, would you like to meet someone? I said, well, yeah. She calls over Cher. So Cher comes over. She had been on a dance floor. And so here I am. I'm, I think I'm 23, might've been 24. I'm a baby, but I'm willing to learn and willing to listen and willing to meet people. And so Cher comes over and, and uh, we have some, a little bit of chitty chat. And if you know Cher, she's very, if she wants something, she goes after, grabs me by the arm. You dance? I said, yeah. So we go and we start dancing. We're dancing to all this fun stuff back then was the Bee Gees and Rod Stewart, Billy Joel. And to this day, if you Google Ronda Gaines Cher, it, it breaks down to a slow song. She's, her head's on my lap. She looking very comfortable. So I, and you look at my face, my face, the expression on my face is like, oh my God, I'm dancing with Cher. And I don't feel, I look like I don't feel comfortable because I'm not comfortable. Because I grew up as a Canadian watching Sonny and Cher. So I am dancing with Cher. So we go back to the table and uh, Liza says, Kate, we're going to go back to the house. So Cher grabs me. She says, come on, we're going. We go. We ended up in the lobby at Liza Minnelli's house. It was a, a apartment building. And so we sat there for about 30 minutes. Cher gets angry. Where's Liza? Where's Liza? I'm, I'm like, well, I'm good. I don't mind waiting. No, no, we're leaving. 30 minutes later, we leave. So where are we going? Cher, where are we going? Just come with me, son. Get in the car. We go maybe five, six blocks. And I'm not saying a thing. I'm like shy. So we pull up to this beautiful townhouse. Uh, we're in a cab. I play the cabbie. She's at the door turning the key. Before she turns the key, opens the door, she turns around and says to me, by the way, I don't beep, beep, beep on the first date. Fill in the blank. Okay. And so I said, I, I, again, I don't, I said, I'm happy just to be here. So I go inside, walk around this beautiful townhouse. And so I look around, there are gold records on the wall. And I'm thinking, share, is, is it share? No, it's, it's kiss. So I said, Cher, whose place is this? Oh, it's Gene Simmons. <laughs> oh, this is getting good, right? <laughs> and, uh, and so I'm in Gene Simmons' house, townhouse, not sure why I'm there. And so next thing you know, she told me, we're not doing anything tonight. Next thing you know, we're sitting on his bed. And that's where the story stops. <laughs> and so I'm going to want to share this because our guest uh, a little later in the show was uh, Mike Keenan. And... Uh, I would, I'd be interested in knowing how Mike would have treated me back then as a celebrity-type player because I think Herbie just didn't get it. You know, I was scoring a lot of goals, but he just didn't appreciate the fact that I was able to do both. And so when I talk to Mike, i got to ask him that question. Now I want to welcome in in the studio. Um, you all remember 94, Stanley Cup. And... Um, you have your players and you have your coaching staff. And I've learned over the years the importance of great coaching. And I've, um, having coached myself. And so at the time, with the team that the Rangers had at the time, they needed a specific type coach, and they brought in Mike Keenan. Mike Keenan, a friend of mine. Mike Keenan is here today. Mike, welcome to the show, our first New York Post a podcast. I'm glad you're my guest. So you just heard my story about my lifestyle and how I was out having fun. I was able to still be able to play. I'd scored 40 goals with Herb Brook that one year. Um, 
how would you have handled me? How would you would have treated me? Because you read about me in the New York Post, page six, I'm out and having good time, Studio 54, Cher, Fair Fawcett. Did I just say Fair Fawcett? I did. Um, <laughs> and so all, how would you have treated me back then? First of all, thank you very much for having me as your first guest. I'm honored and a great friend, yes. But uh, listening to the story, I can reflect upon some of the young players that I had that were of your elk, uh, Jeremy Roney, for example, love to be a very social individual off the ice. Mm-hmm. Uh, back in Philadelphia with Peter Zezo and Rick Tocca, there were young players, 18, 19 years old. You said you were 20, 22. Yeah. But for me, is what you brought to the table game time. Yes. You can do whatever you like and be respectful of your off-ice behavior. At the same time, when you come into that dress room, you have a responsibility to yourself to your family, and then to your other players and your teammates. So my my attitude was it was team building, and part of that was socialization with your teammates and with other people in the community, uh, in the fan base, and, and building awareness for the hockey team. Uh, we have a responsibility as an individuals, uh, players, and coaches to – our owners and our fan base, and we're entertainers to a certain extent. So I didn't mind if they had some uh, things well, they wanted me, to let, do. Well, let me ask you, ice. because I had to talk to some of your players that you coached, yes. and you almost encouraged at different times where you wanted the guys to go out, you wanted the guys to go have fun. Is, that, is there any truth in that? Absolutely. I could tell you that Chicago Blackhawks, for example, I made a point every year of taking them to some social situation. You know, I love music. And we were in Bath one one uh, winter, and I took him to uh, to a, a bar where yes. there was a great uh, rock band, and we, we listened to the band. So I know it's my time to depart, but I socialized with the team. Mm-hmm. I didn't do it very often. Iron Mike doesn't do those things. Yes. So we have a good time, and at the end of the evening, I had my credit card to Michelle Goulet. I said, Goulet, look after everybody. Yes. See you guys tomorrow. No problem, Mike. Thanks very much. He buys drinks for everybody in the bar, just yeah. not the team. <laughs> I get the bill. It's yeah. $10,000. It's so good. What do you do? Oh, Mike, we had a good time. We yeah. enjoyed it. But the, the, the key there was socialization as a group. Yes. I said, and I would tell him, if you all come in late for curfew, no problem. If one comes in late and the rest you stay, or comes in early and yep. the rest you stay out, then that individual I have to address. Mm-hmm. So... I think that's part of team building and not to go to an extreme, yes. but there are times where it's, it's necessary. That's a long season, 80 plus games. Uh, and all of my teams did socialize it. And you hear all the stories after, but I would say you guys don't trick a tricker because I've did all those things as a player myself. Okay. So the 94 team, you got Messier yep. as your leader, as your captain, would you assign him that responsibility to make sure that the players were having fun and having a good time? Or did you feel like you had to step in when you got a Mark Messier as your captain? I didn't have to step in. They, we had some characters on the team. Mark uh, certainly was the leader, but we had people like Asatikanen who was, yeah. <laughs> likes to enjoy himself and a few others. And Kovala was a kid yeah. playing the saxophone on the side and, and having a good time. But I would tell them, I would bring Mark in and said, Mark, it's your... Ballywick, it's up to you yep. to make sure we are focused when we need to be focused and for the team to enjoy themselves when it's time to relax. Because this is a very intense game that we're playing and the expectations here in New York, for example, there's no relief. It's either win or win. Hmm. So 
let them have some enjoyment and relaxation, not expense of their professional development, but it's also part of developing developing the group as a team. Yeah. So in 94, at what point did you think this team is good enough to win the Stanley Cup? Was it after you made all your trades or was it just before that? No, it was after the trades because up to that point we were doing well and everybody thought this guy's insane. Uh, we're going to trade all these players at, at the trading deadline. We're in first place. In the, yeah. But I had the experience in Philadelphia twice the Cup, Chicago to the Cup, Final Four in both uh, situations. And I said to... Uh, the management group, I said, guys, we're not good enough to There's win something the missing. Cup. I know, I know what it takes. Trust me. So what we was have missing? To do these. We did. We weren't. I, and I anticipated playing the Devils. I said, we're not big enough. We're not tough enough. We need maturity. We need experience. We need people to be there. So the people we brought in, like Matto, Noonan, McTavish, had won the cup. Matto and Noonan were in the finals with me. Larmer was in the finals with me. We brought people in that we knew that could, first of all, adjust very quickly to the team. You think about it. That's a whole new line, yeah. a whole new line at, trading, at the trading deadline that could adjust to uh, what was needed to adjust to the coaching. They already knew the coaching, right. so that wasn't an issue. And people, I thought, that could co uh, collectively mix with the group we have already. It was seamless. They came in. It was like they were playing there all year and for many years together. They yeah. knew what the team ingredients were for team building, and those new players came in. They just fit right in like a glove. Yeah. So now you win the Stanley Cup. Tell us about the parade. Well, the parade was exceptional. Um, good story that I can tell about my father who had visited me, and uh, he had come down for a couple of weeks, stayed for six. I said, Dad, Limo's here to take you home. He said, why? I said, because i got to concentrate on the Stanley Cup playoffs. Yes. But I said, if we win, I'll bring you back. So he, we win that night. I go in the dressing room right after. Mm. My daughter's there. I call him. said, Dad, get the family. Come on down for the parade. So he's, all these people are yelling, Keen, and he's up there. He thinks yeah. it's for him. I said, that's super. I just sat back and yeah. let him enjoy it. But, yeah, uh, yeah it was a uh, awesome experience and certainly overwhelming in terms of the volume of people that showed up and then uh, at City Hall of making a speech in the Gracie Mansion and and uh, the celebration went on. But it was a pretty uh, uh, exceptional experience to have a city the size of New York embrace a sports team. And I think it was a time where New York City needed a boost, needed an emotional boost from something that was reflective as a winning group a winning community. Okay, so let's talk about, because we're still wanting to see another Stanley Cup. It's been a long time, and the team's been on a rebuild right now. One of their core players, Panarin, you have a connection with, because you had coached in Russia, and you got to coach against him. What did you see in him then, and what are you seeing in him now? He was really a gifted young player, a very young player, and he was playing for Ska, which is in St. Petersburg and a team that uh, images themselves after the Rangers in terms of presentation, uh, the best team in the league, and, and they carry themselves uh, very elitely mm. in, in, in the league. But, uh, yeah, he was a very uh, talented young player, effective in all criti critical situations. We played against them. Uh, you could tell that he was going to be electrifying. I coached against many of those superstar players that have since come from Russia. They're playing various teams 
in the, in the NHL, and he stood out as a youngster. And of course, uh, he's having a great start in, in in New York and living up to the expectations. Yeah. Okay. So you're watching uh, NHL being played now. The games have changed because of rule changing. If you're Gary Bettman and you had an opportunity to change something right now, would would it be anything? Well, the one thing that uh, Bobby Orr has spoken about, and that was put the red line back in. There's a lot of dangerous hits, blindside hits, concussions. And I know there's a perception about the speed of the game, but there's also a perception about thinking the game and, and being able to play the game. When the red line's in, that centerman, for the most part, is the key guy who can be able to, well, you played with yeah. Phil, yes. who's able to read the situation in the neutral zone or defenseman coming up. Now it can be, I'm going to chip it out of my own end from my goal line extended to the far blue line, chip it in on the hunt, chip it out. It's perceived to be fast, and it is in terms of the puck movement. But for me, the fast, quick game is those neutral zone plays that don't exist today that you had to be able to execute exquisitely. In, in the top sentiment in the league for many, many years was Wayne Gretzky. And he was certainly capable of doing that. Yeah, okay. I'm on the same page with that because of I, I thought uh, when they started to build the new facilities, the new arenas, make the ice surface a little bit wider, a little more Olympic size, put the red line back in. Now you're forcing teams to go up as a unit of five. Now you got to have give him go. I can share the experience I had in Russia. We did have the Olympic size ice yes. surface. Okay. And with no red line. Completely different game. With no red line. Completely different game. Yeah. So you still have to be able to carry the puck and manage the puck in a much different way than the NHL players do. Okay. As far as uh, the um, – you're we're seeing a lot less fighting. It's more of a skill game now. Even your fourth line are players that can still play. When you watch the game now, is it as entertaining to you as it was because of um, because the game is, is nicer to watch, it's faster, there's skill players, or do you still like the grind and the hitting and players getting angry and – and the dropping of the gloves, do you miss that part of it, or are you good with the way you're seeing the game played? I enjoy the skilled players. At the same time, I had extremely skilled players here in New York, for example, Kovalev, yeah. nobody more skilled than he was. Zuboff, Leach, Mess, yeah. Gravy. I go through the entire lineup. Now I've mentioned a few. I should mention them all. Yeah. But uh, the thing that people have to understand, hockey is an emotional, passionate game. And when you take some of that out of the game, you lose an entertainment value and you also lose some of the intensities that you'd expect to see. You go to see 41 games at Madison Square Garden. I want to see explosive energy. I want to see passion. I want to see intensity. And the new rules allow maybe the new athlete not to have to deliver that every night. To me, that takes away... A uh, what is so special about the game of hockey compared to all our sports in the world. And I, I would like to see that. I reviewed just recently, one year ago, uh, our seventh game against Vancouver. I hadn't looked at it because when you're a coach, you look at every game after each game to analyze it in the playoffs. When that game seven was over, we won the cup. I never looked at the game again until because we're having our 25th anniversary. I want to remember it. Yes. I went to see the guys. I couldn't believe how vicious yes. the game was yeah. and how intense it was and how mean it was. Yeah. So I'm not saying it should be to that extent, but I liked 
the entertainment value, and I liked that the players were, you, you can't play the game back then if you're faint of heart. It would be impossible. Yeah, it separated the men from the boys back no then. No question. So you haven't coached in a couple of years. Your last coaching job was in China. Correct. Uh, very different, Russia, China. Yes. And uh, you love those challenges. So I have to ask you, I know you've taken a break because it's, it's, it's a stressful job. Do you miss coaching? Would you coach again? Uh, I don't think about it because I'm in a, in a, in a culture or environment, uh, and I've been reflecting upon a little bit because of a, uh, NFL. Uh, where I, I don't want to think about it because I don't think people would reach out to me because they perceive that I'm aged, gone by the, yeah. the idea of coaching these new players. But I look at Belichick. He's 67 years old. Yes. And uh, there's one other coach. He's the second oldest. And I can't remember the other fellow's name right now. But, uh, uh, you know, that's... They, they, Pete Carroll. There you go. Thank you, Pete Carroll. And uh, he's 68. And, you know, you, if, you if bring, you, here's the difference. In Russia, they hire, they don't even want young coaches to start with. It's transitioning now. But they respected knowledge and experience. And they wanted that to build a program. They call it in Russia the, the school, the Keenan School of Magnitogorsk. So that means everybody will play the same, right from the big club to the junior club to the minor league clubs and so on. So that part of it and you bring a you I could bring a wealth of knowledge but I don't again because of the of the nature of, of the beast and sometimes you maybe you have to be realistic and say you know you're finished anyway so yeah but from time to time I think about it yes to answer your question yeah okay well we're gonna I'm gonna end this by saying thank you you're my first guest you're a great guest thank and you. uh you've had my a great pleasure. career and and the fact that uh, you won the Stanley Cup with the New York Rangers in 94. And I had my opportunity in 79, went to, fi uh, went to the finals, we lost. And that's the one thing that I, I think a lot of, what it would be like for me to have that ring. Particularly you, in New York. Yeah, particularly in New York, because I, you and I, we both have a passion for the New York Rangers. So thanks for being our first guest, and we wish you the very best. Thank you very much for having me, Ron. And that's a wrap for the debut of Up in the Blue Seats. Thanks to our producer, Jake Brown, for making it happen. We'll be joined every week by our New York Post Ranger beat writer, former Ranger greats, and other special guests. Subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcast, And you can follow me on Twitter at Ron Duguay 10 It's going to be a fun ride, so come and join us. We'll see you next week. <laughs>